Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, front and center. On the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the Biden administration continues its pro-abortion push. We're at the White House. Spotlight on the speaker. Life has value from the moment of conception because that's our creator that gives us that and gives us our value. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales sits down with Mike Johnson to talk about his faith and his work in the pro-life movement steps in the right direction. A look back at Friday's March for Life with EWTN correspondent Mark Irons and the power of words. Pope Francis reveals an unlikely weapon against toxic secular culture. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden marks the 51st anniversary of Roe versus Wade by slamming the U.S. Supreme Court's, quote, extreme decision to overturn Roe, adding that millions of women now live in states with extreme and dangerous abortion bans. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, just days after the March for Life, the Biden administration launches a full-scale abortion push, and that includes announcing new actions. President Joe Biden meets with his task force on reproductive health care access. The idea that a woman should have to carry a fetus after she has been raped or a victim of incest is just, I think it's just cruel. To me, it's outrageous. Earlier, the White House announcing, in their words, new actions to help strengthen access to contraception, protect access to medication abortion, and ensure patients receive emergency medical care. Vice President Kamala Harris, meanwhile, travels to Wisconsin, slamming former President Donald Trump, who nominated three of the Supreme Court justices who helped overturn Roe. He intended for them to take your freedoms. And it is a decision he brags about. Back in the briefing room, EWTN asked whether unborn babies have any rights. I'm not going to get into that specific. I'm not going to get into that question. I've been very, very clear about this, where majority of Americans stand. Uh, and that's what matters. But the president wants to see Roe become the law of the land. The administration's push for abortion comes just days after the March for Life. When I asked President Biden about the pro-life event beforehand, he gave me a one-word answer. March. What's your message to those attending? March. You can see March for Life organizers tweeted this response to the president saying, Joe, we did. And Lila Rose, who founded the pro-life group Live Action, wrote today, We rejoice that Roe v. Wade was miraculously overturned in 2022, a result of the tireless efforts of pro-life activists around the country for the last 51 years. She adds, Our movement can't be stopped because it is fueled by love and a passionate commitment to the value of every human being. Now, tomorrow, the president... First Lady, Vice President, and Second Gentleman head to Manassas, Virginia to attend a campaign event focused on abortion. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. From the White House to Capitol Hill in just a few minutes, EWTN News Nightly shines a spotlight on GOP Speaker Mike Johnson to talk about his views on the pro-life movement. With Florida Governor Ron DeSantis officially out of the 2024 presidential race, former President Donald Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley will go head-to-head in tomorrow's first-in-the-nation primary 
in New Hampshire. The latest CNN poll showed a double-digit lead for Trump, yet questions remain on which direction DeSantis supporters will go now. Other questions surrounding the primary, who will Catholics in the Granite State support, and what issues are most important to them. Here for more perspective is Philip Lawler, visiting fellow at Thomas More College in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Phil, great to be with you today. Thanks so much for coming on. A lot to get to, but first, let's talk about the faithful in New Hampshire. How big is the Catholic electorate, and how big a sway do you think they'll have in tomorrow's primary? Well, I don't know that Catholics will be a very large swing vote uh, in New Hampshire as in many other places. You still have a lot of Catholics who are on the Democratic side of the legislature, of the political uh, divide. But I think that those on the Republican side, where it matters in that primary, will vote very heavily for Trump. Yeah, and I want to talk about DeSantis now, uh, a practicing Catholic. He was polling at about 6% in New Hampshire before dropping out of the race. Where do you think his supporters will go now? I think most of them will go to Trump. I think he was, his campaign messaging was very much similar to the Trump messaging. He was an alternative to the former president. Uh, now there is no alternative, and I think he will pad Trump's margin, if anything. Phil, as you know, uh, today is the day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. That said, how important do you think the life issue is to New Hampshire voters? Do you see it as a driving force, or do you think there are other issues that are motivating them more? I think this year it would not be particularly a driving force because you have such a sharp divide. On the Democratic side, uh, pro-life sentiments aren't tolerated. On the Republican side, all of the candidates were, at least in their rhetoric, pro-life. Uh, so it has not been a major issue. You have differences in how much you might trust the Republican candidates on the pro-life issues, but they they all claim to be on the right side. Well, tomorrow um, is really a two-horse race on the Republican side with Haley and Trump. And in the meantime, President Joe Biden, who's basically the Democrat nominee right now at this point, isn't even on the ballot there. What do you think this says about the state of our primary process? Honestly, I think it's sad. I remember times when you could go to New Hampshire in primary season and you could meet candidates. You could meet several candidates in a day of traveling around New Hampshire. It's a small state and there are lots of candidates. It was lively, it was exciting, and it was a real contest. This year, we don't have a contest on either side of the ballot. And that's really unfortunate for, I think, for our democracy. And certainly it's, fortunate, it's unfortunate for politics as a, sec as a spectator sport. Yeah, and as we know, uh, in Iowa, voters there battled extreme snow and cold to caucus. What about the folks in New Hampshire? How dedicated are they? And do you expect a big turnout for the primary tomorrow? Again, I don't expect a very big turnout because there's not much excitement in it. We already know what the results will be. Uh, the weather shouldn't be a factor. We're expecting a little snow, nothing that New Englanders can't handle. But the question that I have in my mind is, is how excited can people be about this race? Because... We already know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, Phil, we have probably about 30 seconds left or so. But uh, any final thoughts before I let you go? Well, I'd just like to say again that I, I think it's unfortunate. We have uh, a presidential race in which most of the people in this country don't want a rematch. And we're going to get a rematch, apparently, unless something dramatic happens. And you ask yourself, what went wrong? Because in the past, the voters were able to express themselves more, and it feels... I've, to me, and I think to many other American voters, it feels 
is if other people are making our decisions for us. I'm going to leave it right there. Phil, great to be with you. Thank you so much for your time today. God bless. Thank you. You too. Now, the Supreme Court says Border Patrol can remove razor wire along a portion of the U.S. southern border with Mexico. It is a victory for the White House and its legal fight with the governor of Texas. The high court ruled five to four following an emergency appeal by the Biden administration. The ruling applies to a section of the Rio Grande where state officials had blocked Border Patrol agents. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected Hamas's terms for the release of hostages, which included an end to the war and the withdrawal of Israeli troops from the Gaza Strip. Relatives of the Israeli hostages burst into a parliament meeting yelling, get up from your chairs, demanding they do more to help their loved ones. The protest comes after the Israeli government announced the death of another hostage. Let's bring in Gershon Baskin. He is the founder and director of the Israeli-Palestinian Public Policy Institute and has extensive experience in hostage negotiations. Gershon, good to be with you today. As you know, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has dismissed the conditions that Hamas put forth for the release of the remaining hostages. What do you think of those conditions and what is the path forward? There is only one way to bring all the remaining hostages in Gaza held by Hamas back home to Israel alive, those who are still alive, and that's through an agreement with Hamas. But I think that the importance of bringing the hostages home is so much overriding everything else that it has to be done. The war effort, the dismantling of Hamas's military capabilities and its ability to govern can wait the hostages cannot wait. They are being killed every single day. Gershon, earlier today, uh, the families of hostages held by Hamas uh, burst into the Knesset, demanding Israeli lawmakers do more to bring their loved ones home. What kind of impact do you think these type of protests have, if any? I think it's beginning to have an impact on Israeli society, but not big enough and not fast enough. And this is the danger that we're in, um, because... It took five years to bring the Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit home. Uh, when a deal was on the table six months after he was abducted, we're now uh, 108 days into this war. We know from hostages who have come home how difficult their conditions were, how life-threatening they are. We also know that of the 136 hostages being held by Hamas, there are probably only around 95 of them still alive. And those include senior citizens, elderly people, sick and wounded. There's still two infants who we believe are being held and a group of young women between the ages of 20 to 30 who Israel believe have been very badly sexually abused. There is no victory for Israel in this war if the hostages are not brought home. And this is the point that we have to continue to make to the government in Israel. They have to compromise on the immediate needs to defeat Hamas militarily and bring the hostages home and continue the war effort as they wish afterwards. But first, the hostages have to come home. Yeah, and you know about this oh so well. I mean, you worked on getting Israeli hostages released. Do you think the hostages in Gaza, do you think they will ever be freed? I have to be optimistic. I have to believe that the morality uh, there, there's a moral responsibility of the government of Israel to bring these people home, and I have to believe that that moral calling uh, 
coupled with the the belief in the Jewish faith that the return of prisoners, of hostages, is one of the most important commandments within the Jewish religion, that this will also have its impact on the government making, on the decision making of the Israeli government. It has to. These people, the families of the hostages are on the streets every day in front of the minister's homes, in front of the Knesset, in front of the prime minister's home. All of us are walking around with these yellow badges, it, reminding us of the yellow ribbon around the old oak trees or carrying these uh, discs that say on it, my, live, my heart is broken and captive in Gaza. People all over the country are, are coming out with these symbols holding on the government. And I have to be optimistic that this can be done. I know in my communication with the Qataris and the Egyptians and with Hamas over the last two weeks that a deal which includes an end to the war and Israeli withdrawal and an exchange of all for all is doable, is acceptable to Hamas, and we can bring these people home. Gershon, thank you so much for your insights. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Now, back here in the United States, the head of a diocese in Louisiana has died unexpectedly. Bishop Mario Dorsonville had led the Diocese of Uma Thibodeau for less than a year. The 63-year-old also held positions in the USCCB and the Archdiocese of Washington. This new diocese announced news of his death on Friday with, quote, great sadness and deep shock. Uh, we still have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Secrets of the Speaker. How does Mike Johnson face challenges on the Hill while keeping his spiritual glass full? Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has the scoop. And highlights from this year's March for Life in the nation's capital. It has been nearly 100 days since Mike Johnson became the Speaker of the House, and since then he has dealt with a number of challenges. So what are his priorities, and how does he stay grounded? EWTN News Nightly Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales spoke one-on-one -on -one with a Louisiana Republican. They discussed pro-life issues, the Speaker's faith, and the future of the Republican Party. I'm now joined with the Speaker of the U.S. House, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican out of Louisiana. Speaker Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the abortion issue usually only focuses on pro-life, and, and, but it's also the mother and protecting the mother and the child afterwards. Talk to me about your views of pro-life. Yeah, we, we believe in the sanctity of every human life at all stages. Um, you know, the, often we talk about the unborn, which is certainly important because we believe life has value from the moment of conception because that's our creator that gives us that and gives us our value. Uh, but it's all the way through every stage of life. And, and certainly, um, look, I'm, I'm the product of an unplanned uh, pregnancy. My, my parents were teenagers uh, when I was born exactly one year before Roe v. Wade in 1972 in January. Um, this is an important thing to support young mothers who are in times of crisis, you know, in unplanned situations, to support families, to support them all the way through the pregnancy. And then after, we need to be promoting adoption, uh, cutting red tape, uh, you know, that, that hinders the foster children system and all this. So there's a lot of work to do to build a culture of life. And your faith is very strong. I mean, I hear it in your words every day, even in your opening speech when you became speaker. Mm -hmm. How has your faith manifested you as Speaker of the House? Well, I, I think our, our faith, for those of us who have a, a sincere, uh, deeply held religious faith, it's part of who we are. It, it, it helps determine what we do, how we see the world. It's a worldview, so to speak. 
And, and I think uh, everyone is, uh, is guided by some worldview. Mm -hmm. You know, we have 435 members in the House of Representatives. Uh, all of us have uh, different uh, deeply held philosophies and viewpoints, and so you can't separate that from who you are and how you make decisions. But, you know, it's not unlike what the framers of our Constitution believed. I mean, earlier generations of Americans, as recently as just a few decades ago, spoke and thought and talked uh, the same way. When we say it now, it, it's, uh, it seems unfamiliar to people, but it's, it's exactly uh, a reflection of who we are as a country. This is such a contentious place. How do you keep your spiritual glass full? Uh, there's a lot of, of, of uh, faithful people here who yes. serve in Congress, and uh, a large group on both sides of the aisle. And uh, it's a mutual encouragement society, you know, uh, having that kind of fellowship with people who understand and believe the same things. And uh, we have groups that meet, you know, for prayer and Bible study and all the rest. And, mm -hmm. and you have your personal disciplines as well, you know. We ought to be leading in, in, uh, in prayerfully because these are dangerous times, historic times, perilous times. You were on the Judiciary and the Weaponization Committee. You know, during that time in the Weaponization Committee, we saw the FBI uh, bring case against uh, the Catholic Church, even putting agents inside of local churches. What more can Congress do to prevent this? Well, Congress has a very important responsibility of, of oversight, and we have to bring accountability for agencies that have been spun out of control. Really, we use the term weaponized because that's exactly what it is. We have uh, agencies that were designed to protect and serve the American people in so many cases in recent years, and by the administration, have been turned against them, and that's just what the facts show. It's alarming. So we've called it out, we've drawn attention to it, and we're demanding accountability for those who are in charge. What more can the Republican Party do to protect the pro-life community? I mean, we've seen fights against the Democrats coming, and coming after the Hyde Amendment, the Helms Amendment. What more can be done? And, and even firebombing pregnancy resource centers yes, and, and uh, Catholic churches and other uh, faiths with, that have tried to reach out to people in need and just try to help and do good in their communities. Um, we have to, again, bring accountability. We, we have a very important responsibility here in Congress to ensure that the rule of law is maintained, to assure that, ensure that the, the inherent and fundamental freedoms of all people are respected. And let's not forget that that begins with uh, religious freedom. It's our, literally the first freedom listed in the Bill of Rights. Well, Speaker Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. God thank bless you. you. Thanks for being here. Thank God you, bless. sir. Tens of thousands of pro-lifers gathered in the snow and cold for the 51st annual March for Life this past Friday. EWTN's Mark Irons was in the crowd and shares some of what he learned from those attending. In freezing temperatures and falling snow, they marched. You know, I'm just really excited to be here. God obviously wants us to be here. It's a cold day, it's snowing, you could be anywhere else. Why are you here? I'm here because it has never been a more important time in our nation's history to stand for life. That thought shared by many here at the 51st annual March for Life in Washington. I'm here because over 60 million children don't have a voice because of the violence of abortion and I, do, I should be here to use my voice. I have to be out here to do my part to try to save babies. The event kicked off with a rally and a variety of speakers advocating for unborn life. The fight for life is not over. Thousands of people from all over the country then filled the streets of Washington for the march. Some shared international perspective. It is very different from here. Sister Catherine Okoye is a member of the Sisters of Jesus the Good Shepherd, a religious congregation founded in Nigeria. She says in her home country, abortion is widely opposed. Everybody's protesting against killing kids in the womb. You cannot go anywhere freely to say, I want to kill my child in your womb. No, my culture does not permit that. 
Along the march, we also met Lily. She didn't want to share her last name. She has some scars from her past and a family that didn't provide much support for her when she was pregnant decades ago. At 19, she had an abortion. The truth has set me free, so I want to say how it is. Abortion is murder, and as much as, as it kills, you know, babies in the wombs of the mothers, it also kills women, because nobody talks about what happens to women that have aborted. On a lifelong journey in more ways than one, Lily was born in Central America and grew up in different European countries. She now lives in Ireland. She traveled here to March for Life and share what she's learned all along the way. Us, have you found healing since that abortion? It is an amazing grace that I'm here. It's an amazing grace. Jesus is my savior. He has forgiven me. And I've been, I've forgiven myself. With a message for pro-lifers going forward, we heard from the chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Pro-Life Committee, Bishop Michael Burbage. He says the uncompromising truth must be shared, and the way it is shared will make a difference. Life is sacred at every stage and must be cherished and protected. But at the same time, we have to be unfailingly charitable. Uh, it's love, it is love, that will always inspire and persuade and maybe even welcome others to consider uh, the truth that we're bringing to them. Mark Irons, EWTN News Nightly. Such a beautiful event. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, love humanity, learn humility. Pope Francis meets with journalists who cover the Vatican. Colin Flynn tells us more. Plus, the Holy Father reminds a faithful of a weapon that we can and should always have at our sides. This morning, Pope Francis met with journalists who cover the Vatican. He thanked them for their patience, saying they are building bridges of knowledge and communication instead of divisions and diffidence. EWTN Vatican News correspondent Colin Flynn has more. A very good evening, Tracy. Well, this morning in the stunning Clementine Hall at the Apostolic Palace in the Vatican, Pope Francis held a private audience with around 150 journalists who cover the Vatican. These reporters work for TV networks and radio stations and newspapers from all over the globe. Love humanity, learn humility. That's what Pope Francis told these journalists, myself included. The Pope emphasized the importance of truth and responsible reporting when covering the Vatican. And he warned against what he called the fragile sands of gossip and ideological interpretations. He spoke about how broadcasters have the power to build bridges of knowledge and communication instead of divisions and diffidence. He also spoke off the cuff, departing from his prepared speech, and thanked the journalists for how they delicately handled reporting the sexual abuse scandals of the Catholic Church. He gave the example of showing respect to the victims. And as I mentioned, Tracy, I was there, and I have to say, it was a very warm encounter. Pope Francis joked that he had made all of us get up extra early. Our meeting with him was at 8 a.m., but we had to meet at 6.45 a.m. in St. Peter's Square in the freezing cold to go through all the security checks as we made our way inside the Apostolic Palace. He thanked all the journalists for their passion for bringing the news of the Pope's travels and meetings and speeches to the faithful all over the world. He acknowledged that the work sometimes took journalists away from their families and loved ones for extended periods. For example, when covering his foreign trips to places like South Sudan, Bahrain 
and so on. And after his speech, he took time to meet each one of us. And I reminded him that I was from Ireland. He said, oh, yes, green Ireland. And I said, that's why I'm wearing my green tie, Holy Father. I told him I felt blessed that I've been able to accompany him on such important trips like to Iraq and Mongolia and everywhere in between. Each of the journalists were given a gift by the Pope, a blessed pair of rosary beads with the crest of the Holy See on them. At the Vatican, Colm Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. And finally tonight, Pope Francis reminds the faithful that reading the Word of God can unleash an immense power in our lives. L'ascolto della parola e l'adorazione del Signore. During Mass yesterday for the Sunday of the Word of God, the Holy Father reminded us that we always have the gospel close at hand, and reading the Bible often can help us avoid falling into the trap of concentrating on ourselves and our problems rather than Christ and the love that He wants to give. And we thank you for watching us tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night, and God bless.